If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is where we will be today. We have maps today. I'm very excited. Very excited. Any day we have a map. It's very good. I love it. So um, Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to begin. And we're going to begin in verse 36. Acts 15 beginning in verse 36. And we're going to read to 16, chapter 16 and verse 10. And wherever you are and however you're looking at God's word this morning or participating in this service, if you would, in honor of God and his word, let's all stand together wherever we're at. And let's hear God's word for us this morning. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance all the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. So today, this passage is a a little interesting in the sense that it is, um, how shall we say, again, one of those, maybe a flyover passage. We like when Paul is in a spot and we like the stories that come when he's in a certain location, but this is a bit of a transition in our passage today. And I want to talk a little bit about the idea of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but I also want to talk about something that is pervasive within this passage, which is the idea that even a life of faith is not a life that is immune to disappointment and hurt in your life of faith. This passage is actually filled with points of hurt and disappointment and frustration 
of the Apostle Paul. And if we back off and we kind of look at the context of what's going on, look at some of the places where they go, where they're trying to go, where they're forbidden to go, and to see what God is doing during this time, I trust that we can look both at these things about how God guides us, but also about how do we enter into a season where we don't know which direction to go and we've had relational hurt and relational pain. How does God bring us through a season like that? So, are you guys with me today? You with me? January resolutions. You're ready to geek out. We're ready to look at a map. I'm pumped. I hope you're pumped too. Let's just look a little bit at this. Look at verse 36. It says, After some days, Paul and Barnabas said, or Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord. And I'm going to look a little bit at this. And what, I've, what we've done is we put up a map of the second missionary journey. And I'm going um, to zoom in a little bit back to the first missionary journey, if we can do this. There we go. The first missionary journey started here in Antioch, and it moved on to Cyprus, and it went up to Pisidian Antioch up here, sorry, Pisidian Antioch up here, and then Iconium Lystra Derby. So starting in Antioch to Cyprus, over here to Perga, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium Lystra Derby. These are the churches of Galatia, the Galatian churches. And that was where Paul preached the gospel with Barnabas on the first missionary journey, that kind of mixed bag that they had great reception. And then the same people who received them wanted to stone them. It was a, it was a, it was a kind of a roller coaster of a journey. And so Paul says, hey, it's a, this is a good idea. I, I think this is a good idea. If we go back and we revisit all of these places that we visited on the first journey. And Barnabas, this, this is what they do, it, this, this idea invigorates the crew, right? Originally, in Acts chapter 14, when they originally go on this journey, or Acts chapter 13, when they originally go on this journey, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for Barnabas, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the ministry I've called them to. Now, this ministry doesn't necessarily begin with the Holy Spirit, it begins with a good idea. And good ideas are often the way that the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. And we're going to see that this is no different. This is a good idea. And it invigorates the crew. And now, just a little, just to back off a little bit, it had been about 15 years since Paul had been knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. Where we are in the book of Acts is about 15 years after Paul's conversion. Only a couple years after that event, this guy Barnabas grabs Paul down in Jerusalem because the, the believers in Jerusalem had been really standoffish about Paul. He had been a persecutor. So Barnabas grabs him and he brings him in front of the apostles and says, you guys ought to get to know each other. And it really is the work of Barnabas that makes Paul part of this apostolic group. And so it begins a friendship and a relationship between Paul and Barnabas that at this point is about a decade and a half old. About 15 years, Paul and Barnabas had been partners in ministry. They had been co-workers in ministry. They had seen each other at their best when they were rejoicing that God was at work. And they had seen each other at their worst when they didn't know if they were going to live another day, literally. They had been back-to-back in service, watching each other's back for 15 years.
And now they're ready to take another road trip in ministry. This is a good idea. Let's do this. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take along John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Now, if we remember the first missionary journey, they start in Antioch, they come to Cyprus, they come to the edge of Cyprus, that this is what Jim Hill was preaching about, and they come up here to Pamphylia, and John Mark abandons the team at that point, leaving Paul and Barnabas to continue on to Pisidian Antioch, and eventually over to Iconium and Lystra. Lystra is where Paul um, gets stoned, presumably stoned to death, drug out of the city, and then they, they go down to Derby and then back up and around. But John Mark had abandoned the team. At least that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, what he thinks. Now, the relationship between Barnabas and John Mark in Colossians 4, Colossians 4.10, it calls Mark, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We could also maybe get the idea that um, Barnabas was the nephew uh, or sorry, that um, John Mark, sorry, was the nephew of Barnabas. And so there is this kind of kinsman relationship, which no doubt plays some kind of a role that Barnabas wants to take along with them and continue to develop this young man, John Mark. Now, the Barnabas, I don't know if you know a Barnabas in your life, but Barnabas seems to have a pretty big uh, capacity for people that are a little out of sorts in his life. I mean, he had the Apostle Paul early on in the book of Acts, and he drags him in to Jerusalem. He has John Mark with him. He he gains the name and reputation, the son of encouragement. Paul, on the other hand, (laughs) do you want to say, like, Barnabas is the son of encouragement, but Paul is perhaps maybe a bit more no-nonsense, a no-nonsense pragmatist who does not believe that John Mark has proven his worth. He had withdrawn, and in your translation, if you're reading the ESV, it says that he has withdrawn, and most translations will say that that John Mark withdrew from them, but the word that is used there is that he apostatizes. He he apostatizes, he apostatizes from them. He withdraws from them. It's pretty strong language that Paul says. I don't think it's a good idea that we should take someone who's fallen away during these important moments in our journey. And then the Bible here says that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. A sharp disagreement disagreement. Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with somebody? Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with somebody at church? Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with somebody about church or about ministry? This word sharp disagreement, it implies irritation. It implies exasperation. It implies an argument. How sharp is sharp? Sharp enough to sever a 15-year partnership in ministry. 
and it was not over doctrine. The implication is that they are both doctrinally sound. The implication is that this is about either philosophy of ministry or, or simply personality. Now, perhaps you might have had a sense of this sort of agreement if you've ever had a falling out with a good friend. And again, I don't want to bring up old wounds or reopen old wounds, but I do think it deserves mention as we enter into this passage and we ask the question, what does God have for us in a passage like this? Here we have a passage where a decade and a half long of friendship and partnership and ministry is severed, is gone. And it deserves on our part some reflection about what might that have felt like for us. Because what we need to understand is that the beginning of this trip, the beginning of this journey, begins with hurt. I mean, it begins with a good idea, but it, but it, it commences with hurt and disagreement and schism. And if you've ever had a relationship that has been severed like that, where the, the photos in the photo album have to be reevaluated because of the people that are in them. If you've ever had a relationship like that, you know that this is not a one or two day kind of healing process. That moving on with your life, this is not days or even weeks, this is months of process and dealing with what has gone on. You wonder how long Paul and Barnabas, each in their own right, have on their mind what was said about them or to them by the other in this sharp disagreement. And we might know if we've had an experience where we replay in our mind the falling out that we may have had with a friend. Maybe a friend at work, maybe a friend at church. But these are not quick hurts to heal. And I think it bears noting that the beginning of this work is couched in disagreement, hard words, and hard feelings. The second missionary journey does not begin with the same sort of fanfare and blessing. I mean, there is blessing. They do commend both of them to grace, but not together. They separate them out. It says this, that Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So they go down here to Cyprus. Do you know where Barnabas is from? Joseph? Joseph, the, the Levite, he is actually from Cyprus. So they go to his homeland. He takes his nephew, and they go to his homeland. And then it says about Paul, Paul chooses Silas, new on the scene. We read a little bit about him before. And departed, having been commended by the brothers by the grace of the Lord. So Paul has a new traveling companion, Silas. Silas was a Jerusalem Jew who had been commissioned by the Jerusalem church to go out and to deliver the letters and edicts that they had, uh, they had come to at the Jerusalem council. But it says in verse 41, they went through Syria and Cilicia. So this is the area of Syria, and then this is the area of Cilicia. Do you know who's from here? This little town right here is the town of Tarsus. This is where Saul is from. So it's interesting that these two men, one takes his nephew, the other takes someone new, and they go off into their homelands, and they preach the gospel. So Paul has a new traveling companion, and Paul is about to pick up another worker in this process, Timothy. Look at 
16.1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Here's Derby, here's Lystra. By the way, these right here, these are the Taurus Mountains. They are tall. Um, when we were there, when I was there in April, they were snow-capped. So to get through, you've got to find a pass, get through the Taurus Mountains, and there are Roman roads that do this, and we're going to look at Roman roads in a second. They go to Derby, they arrive at Lystra, and Lystra is where Timothy is from. One other thing, and we've already mentioned this today, Lystra is also the place where the Apostle Paul was stoned and presumably killed and drug out of the city. Timothy would have been probably a witness to that. And so one of the things about Timothy that we need to know, it says, um, Paul came to Derby to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy is from Lystra. Timothy would have known the hardships of this sort of work. So it's not a surprise that Paul is like, hey, um, John Mark, he abandoned us, but this guy Timothy, he knows the kind of grit that we're going to need for this sort of work. As we go through Acts, we'll have some more things to say about Timothy, but let me just say this about Timothy. Timothy would prove to be a trustworthy worker with Paul. As far as we can tell, Timothy appears from this point forward. Timothy appears to be entirely at Paul's disposal from this point. This is about 50, 50 AD, 50 of the Common Era, until Paul's death, which as tradition has it is 67. That's 17 years from this point forward that Timothy will accompany the Apostle Paul. Timothy is referred to in Paul's writings as a co-worker, a brother, and as a dear friend and faithful child in the Lord. In the coming, in the few weeks that are to come, I want to say something about perhaps why Paul is partial to this kind of three-person crew, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and what possibly their various roles could have been on this, and why he seems to be partial to this three-person crew and traveling entourage. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. In any event, the task of visiting and encouraging the churches that they had founded on the first journey was a success. Look at verse 4, 16.4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. So even though this, this journey begins with conflict and hurt, we do see that God is at work. And this is one of the things that we note, even in our own seasons of conflict, pain, our own seasons of disappointment and discouragement and disorientation, that we note that God is still at work. Even if it's hard to see, I think Paul would have maybe um, had eyes on Timothy, but his proven worth is going to be shown much later. Now, as they move on, and I'm going to move this, this up here. As they move on, I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at, um, sorry, I'm going to look at some, uh, some roads, if that's okay with everybody. I got to go down here. All right. Because we need to see roads, Roman roads particularly, if we're going to understand how Paul gets, if we're going to understand the rest of what is here, we've got to understand the possibility of where he went and how this might look. I'm going to open this up a little bit. 
this way. So Paul, as we find out, Paul has been to Derby. Here we go, Derby, Lister, and Iconium. We can see these Roman roads. We, what we don't see necessarily on the map is the terrain. And so these roads are roads that are going around mountains, not through mountains or over mountains. They go flat. If you ever travel, go flat, okay? This is why some of you want to take the 5 instead of the 405, right? Because you've got to go over Sepulveda Pass on the 405. But the 5 is nice and level, right? Okay, so you build roads where it's flat unless you have a really good car that can go really fast. Anyway, which we don't go very fast. We always drive the speed limit here at Taft Avenue Community Church, right? Okay, all right. So it says, and one of the things I want to note is when Paul comes to these after Iconium and he gets up here to Pisidian Antioch, he's visited all the churches that he has founded on the first journey. And now it's like, well, where do we go from here? Now that they've reached the end of the cities they've already visited, Paul is set now to move into new territory. And if the beginning of the journey was tinged with disappointment and and conflict, Paul is now going to enter into another period where there may have been some disappointment and a struggle to find a way forward and have some doors closed in his face. Look at verse 16. And as they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, I'm going to, and in order to do this, I'm going to overlay a couple things. Okay, let's make this a little bigger. This is Turkey, Asia Minor. We got Greece up here. Um, And I'm going to put on here, uh, let's see, I want to see New Testament Asia Minor. So these are the regions over New Testament Asia Minor. Here we have Cilicia, here's Galatia, this is Phrygia, this is the province of Asia, up here is Bithynia. All these names are going to come into play in just a second. Look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, that is probably right here. They went to Pisidian Antioch, which is the place that they went on the first missionary journey. That, this is Phrygian Galatia right here, okay? Now, from there, my guess, this is my guess, is that when Paul is on this journey, the place he wants to go is right here, Ephesus. Ephesus was the second most important city in the Roman Empire. In the Roman world, you had Rome and then Ephesus. If you wanted to go to a place of influence, a place of of commerce, a place of travel, a place of trade, a place where you could reach as many people as possible, Ephesus is your huckleberry. And it seems as though Paul sets out to come this way. Now, in order to get there, he would have gone through Colossae, Laodicea. Here are the seven churches of the book of Revelation. You get it to Laodicea, it's about 100 miles to Ephesus. Paul's looking at about maybe a couple weeks' journey to get to Ephesus. But it says in 16.6, and I don't know what this means. If someone does, you let me know. It says that he, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I don't know exactly what that looked like. We might be able to guess. What what does it mean to be here, to try to go in this direction, to try to go west, but the Holy Spirit forbids them. 
Now, that might have been somebody in their party might have had a dream or a vision or had a prophetic word, or they might have, it might have been circumstances. They might have tried to go that direction and something about the travel accommodations or weather or something like that, and they simply could not get there. It doesn't say what it was. It simply says that the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go and preach the gospel over there. So whatever Paul's plan was, plan A is now gone. So now they go to plan B. So they go north. They go north up here. If they start in this direction, they probably peel off here and they go up north into Mysia, which is right up here. Hopefully you can see that at home. This is Mysia, this region up here. And they come to Mysia in verse 7. When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So they come up here and they probably get to this fork in the road right here. Because eventually they end up at Troas, but they try to go to Bithynia, which is up here, northern, this northern region. Eventually, um, Bithynia is right up here where, um, uh, where now, uh, current day, um, what am I, Constantinople is up in this area, um, Istanbul, and that, uh, this is a very important, these, these straits and the Dardanelles and all this stuff, it's very significant for trade and all that stuff. And there would have been plenty of places to preach up in that area. Very prominent region for the Roman Empire as well. But he attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, I don't, again, I don't know what that means. So Paul tries to go left. He can't go left. He then tries to go right. He can't go right. And where he ends up, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, Troas is right here on the coast. This is Troy, the ancient city of Troy, okay? Troas, right on the coast, is basically the end of the road. There's no more land to travel on. Like, I want to go this way, I can't go that way, I want to go this way, I can't go that way, and now I'm at the shore. What do I do now? I'm at the end of the road. And so this idea of that Paul is in this situation, Paul finds himself at the end of the road, so to speak, actually, and actually, Troas, if, just to, I don't want to disparage the fine people of Troas. Troas was a bustling port. It, it, was, it did control these, the, the Dardanelles that are right here, these straits that lead into the Black Sea. So it is a, a bustling port. But according to this, Paul is looking for guidance. He has tried to go one direction, plan A. He's tried to go another direction, plan B. And both of those directions are shut down by God. The Holy Spirit forbids this. The Spirit of Jesus restricts this. And we'll talk about next steps into Macedonia, particularly Philippi next week, and, and, and his, his vision. But I want to reflect a little bit as we finish our morning on this idea of our lives of faith, guidance from God, and disappointment. Paul's going to receive a vision of a man in Macedonia here when he's in Troas. But before we relieve that tension, I want us to just so far note where our passage has begun, and as Paul sits in Troas asking God for direction, that this, this passage reminds us that our lives of faith are reliant on the guidance of God, but they are not immune to disappointment, hurt, and uncertainty. 
Let me say that again. Our lives of faith are reliant on the guidance of God, but they are not immune to disappointment, hurt, and uncertainty. And perhaps you at home have experienced these sorts of disappointment in life, closed doors, or hurt, relational strife, the falling out of a friendship. And what I want to say this morning is even before we resolve all this tension, I still want us to note that God is faithful to redeem times of difficulty and struggle. That God is faithful to redeem times of difficulty and struggle and to guide us through those times. We are reliant on the guidance of God. Just as Paul, as he begins this journey, as he lands at, on, the, on the edge of the ocean at Troas, asking God, what, how have you brought me to this point? So let's start with this idea of disappointment, hurt, and uncertainty. And it does. The passage begins with the fallout of two, the falling out between two godly friends, decade-long friends, partners in ministry, travel companions, men who had seen each other at their best and their worst. This passage also prominently features a bit of a wilderness wandering through Turkey. I mean, what we call Turkey today, but Asia Minor. Like this is, it doesn't this sound a little bit like the Exodus wandering. They try to go this way. They try to go this way. They're trying to figure out where they're going. And I suppose just starting with these two things, as we think about where we're at January 2021, and I've already asked this, have you ever experienced a falling out with a good friend, decade-long friend, lifelong friend? And at the same time, you've ever gone through a season where you feel like it's simply a series of no's, no after no after no, whether that's employment or ministry or church or even relationships. I just want to say this, that a life of faith is not immune to those things, that those things do not mean that you have been necessarily in a state of backsliding. There's a lot of things that can take us into these seasons of disappointment. Some of it can be our own decisions for sure, but sometimes it's just the circumstances of a fallen world, but it can also be that God is leading us into a time of desert, a time of winter, a time of wandering, where we take stock. So just because you've experienced these seasons does not mean that necessarily you're a bad person. What I would say is that a life of faith, that these sort, that hurt and disappointment and struggle sometimes is part of that life of faith. And we've talked about that as we've gone through the Psalms together, that the Psalms are not all further up and further in and everything's gonna be peachy keen and sunshine and roses and unicorns. That the Psalms are about crying out to God, how long, what are you doing, God? Where are you, God? Show a path forward, God. And I would just say this, as we look at this passage, there's a few things that the Apostle Paul has during this time, this time of struggle, of of relational disappointment, and maybe of the guidance of God and some disappointment with the guidance of God. It has three things really to it. One, what we see that Paul does is he continually seeks after God. He's continually praying. He also, just because one door shuts, it doesn't mean he sulks in that. He moves on to another direction. And when that shuts, he keeps moving. And I think one of the most important things to do in a time where you're experiencing hurt, 
where you're experiencing disappointment is to stay to some degree productive. Yes, you can reflect. Yes, you can ask questions. But to keep some sense of movement. This is what the idea of disciplines are like. Keep your Bible reading moving. Keep your prayer life moving. Even if it is a struggle, even if it's like slogging through the mud, keep it moving. Keep some degree of productivity. Do something productive every day. Even if you were in a season where things have been shut off and there are no's, keep a sense of productivity. Get dressed every morning. I mean, if we want to just break it down, get dressed every morning. Get out of bed every morning. Have a cup of coffee every morning. Something that's going to keep you moving, okay? I don't know. Coffee is my legal drug of choice. I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's Diet Coke or Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew. I don't know. We don't have to get into that, okay? Extra biblical there. No extra charge for that little bit. But the other thing, so it calls for this continued seeking after God. It also calls for community, Sometimes we think the Apostle Paul is a loner. The Apostle Paul is not a loner. The Apostle Paul intentionally surrounds himself with an entourage. Intentionally surrounds himself with a guy like Silas. Barnabas is gone. I need another peer. I need another someone who can partner, labor side by side with me. I'm going to bring Silas along. Someone iron sharpen iron. But I also need to be mentoring someone. So I'm going to, we don't have John Mark, I'm going to bring on Timothy. And this idea that the Apostle Paul seems to think that this wandering, this traveling is about also community, this continued seeking after God and the call for community. Paul is not traveling alone. And the last thing, I've already alluded to it, but there's a continual sense of movement. And again, back to this idea that doing something, like even Troas, this is the interesting thing, even though in the book of Acts, Troas, it sounds like the end of the world. Actually, Troas is a very bustling port, and when you get to 2 Corinthians, Paul implies that he had preached the gospel in Troas. So even when he arrives at Troas, he doesn't stop preaching, he's still doing the work, he's just wondering, what's the next step? Because there are still ships that come in and out, which direction do I go? So we start with disappointment, hurt, and uncertainty. And what I'm saying is that those things are actually normative in the Christian life. A life of faith is not immune to these sorts of things. But if you're experiencing these sorts of things, let me just urge you to gather some people around you, to to seek God continually, and to stay productive and stay moving. What we're going to see is that eventually... Times of disappointment, times of hurt, times of struggle will call for perspective and acknowledgement of God's redemptive plan. Now in the moment, and don't try this at home, if you know someone who's going through hurt, struggle, disappointment, don't try this at home. This is not the way forward. But there is perspective that is needed, and perspective might not come in the moment. It might not be received well in the moment, but in hindsight, when you look back, you might see God's redemptive hand in the hurt and difficulty that you have experienced. Eventually, God's hand of redemption may become evident. Let me just show just a couple of ways that 
this episode has a redemptive element about it. The falling out of Paul and Barnabas, decade-long friendship, schism, cut. One thing that it does is it, if we go back here, is it doubles the amount of teams that are going out. They used to send out one team. Now they're sending out two. It's what, it's what we in the church business call an unintentional church plant. Like when a church splits, I don't, I don't want to make light of this because this church has gone through a church split, but it's what we call an unintentional church plant. And you have this schism, and now instead of one church, you have two. Now I'm not saying this is the important thing. I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that God causes that schism. Some people would go so far when we talk about the sovereignty of God to say that God causes that schism. I wouldn't say that. Even the idea that God uses that schism, I'm not comfortable with that idea. I would say the idea is that what God does is God redeems that schism. That God takes something that was meant for evil, the circumstances of a fallen world, and God redeems it for his good. Falling out of Paul and Barnabas doubles the amounts of teams that are being sent out. Paul and Silas are solid co-workers. Timothy becomes a lifelong companion of Paul. That might not have happened if John Mark were brought along. Paul will write of Timothy in Philippians 2. But you know of Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I mean, that's after like 10 years of ministry together that Paul is saying, you know Timothy, he's like my son. And that might not have happened. There is evidence that there's later reconciliation between Paul and John Mark and possibly Barnabas. Colossians 4, Philemon 24. John Mark will eventually go on and develop a relationship with Peter. And as tradition has it, he will write the gospel of Mark that we went through last year or two years ago. Perhaps the decision of Barnabas is vindicated. All that to say, it's not that God causes the conflict, or even, in my sense, uses the conflict. I don't want to use that. I want to talk about the the idea that God redeems the conflict. And even as you think about the conflict in your own life with maybe a friend that you, you've had or that has been, there's been a falling out or you're estranged from somebody, it's not that God has caused that conflict or used that conflict, but I do want you to ask and ask God, God, how are you redeeming that conflict? Even all the closed doors, you think about closed doors and if you've gone through a season of your life where you've experienced door after door being closed and shut in your face and asking the question, what are you doing, God? That in the moment, they must have been frustrated and discouraging, but eventually God does guide and lead in fruitful ministry. The Apostle Paul receives the vision of the Macedonian man here in Troas. He ends up going up to Philippi, preaching the gospel there, Thessalonica, Berea, One kind of fun fact on this, if we go back to our second missionary journey, if I can do this. We go to our second missionary journey, as you see the line being traced 
one of the things you'll see is that Paul will go to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, eventually down to Corinth for about 18 months. But on the way back home, do you remember the place where God was not allowing Paul to go when he was coming up through here? He could not go to Ephesus. Where does he end up on the second missionary journey at the end? God opens a door to Ephesus. On the third missionary journey, Paul's going to spend almost three years in Ephesus, and it says that the whole region of Asia hears the gospel because of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. That's not a no, it's a not yet. It's not a hard no, it's a wait. I'm going to get you to Ephesus, but we're going to take the long way. So sometimes in our lives when a door is closed, it's not a hard no from God. Sometimes it is a hard no. There's, there's no evidence that Paul makes it up to Bithynia ever. There's no evidence. That might have been a hard no by God. Now, Peter does, because the book of 1 Peter talks about Peter addresses believers that are in Bithynia, okay? And all of these regions in this area. But Paul, we have no record of Paul ever making it up to Bithynia. But we do have record of him being in Ephesus and having a very fruitful ministry. So sometimes it is a hard no. Sometimes it's not a hard no. It's a not yet. And as we think about those hard times and how God can redeem those things, maybe something that God said no to at one point, he's then going to say, okay, now that door is open. It wasn't the right time then, but it's now the right time. What can we do with our frustrations and disappointments and closed doors? I would just urge us all, especially right now, because we're in, we're in a pandemic, everybody. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this thing called coronavirus. Just thank you for laughing at home, chuckling. What can we do? Because we've all probably experienced some degree of disappointment. Maybe 2020, there were plenty of disappointments. And you've wondered, how is God, what is God doing? And even now in 2021, it might not look that much different. And you're wondering, how is God going to redeem this? But I would just say this, God is at work and God will redeem our disappointments. It might not be the way we... we well, if we knew how it was going to be, we wouldn't be disappointed, would we? We would already know, but our di- even in our disappointment, God is saying, hey, I need you to wait. Or, look, I don't need you to go down that path. I need you to go down a different path, an entirely different path, and this year is changing all of that. But whatever it is, I would just urge you, I'd urge myself, I'd urge our whole church that during this time that we need to stay in prayer, we stay productive in ministry, We take a good look at what this last year is. We're going to have a a congregational meeting at the end of this month, and we're going to talk about that, where where we've come this last year, how this has affected our church, and what is some movement forward, what are we going to do? But as we do that, to be in prayer and to be asking the question, God, what are you doing? How are you taking this situation, this bad situation, and redeeming it for what you want to do? We stay in this situation. We seek after God. We stay productive, and we look for God's redemptive plan. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we go to prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to come before you today. We thank you, Father, that you are the God of all comfort, that even in the pain, even in the disappointment of our lives, the broken relationships that we've had a part of, maybe even are partially responsible for, maybe entirely responsible for. We looked at those things and we asked God, God, would you redeem? 
Would you redeem bad decisions? Would you redeem hurt? Would you find a way to chart a path forward? Whether it's the Holy Spirit offering a dream or a vision or a good idea, Father, lead us. We ask, Father, we look to you during this time. We look to you at the beginning of this year. Even as we set goals, we pray, keep us on the path of what you've moved in our hearts to do. And may we find encouragement from those around us, even if it is just virtually. May we find the encouragement we need from the community that shares our faith together. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.